0: Thank you for listening to the following sermon from Pine Grove Community Church in Rylander, Wisconsin. For more information, please visit us at pinegrove-wi.com. We hope you enjoy the sermon. All right, here we go. So today we are continuing in the book of, what book did we start last week? Ruth, yeah, we're continuing the book of Ruth, right? If you remember, one of the main people we learned about was Naomi, right? So can I have a Naomi over here? Who wants to volunteer to hold this? Okay, come on over here. Or you can go on that side. All right, right there. Okay, turn our face, everybody. And let's hold that up there so everybody can see. Good. So we have Naomi. Now, if you remember, Naomi went with her family. They had to travel far away because there was a famine. There wasn't any food, right? And so they traveled a long way to a different country, a different land, in order to get food. And while Naomi was there with her family, if you remember, her husband died and her two sons died, right? And so that protection was gone for her. And so she returned back to her people, right, back in the land of Judah. But if you remember, when she came back, there was somebody with her. Do you remember who came back with her? Ruth. Yep. So can I have a Ruth over here? One of our girls, come on up. You can be there with Naomi, okay? So we have Ruth and Naomi together, right? So they were back in the land of Judah. Now Ruth, remember, was from a different country, right? She was from Moab, the other country they were in. And so she was somewhat out of place in Judah. And this would put Ruth in a vulnerable position where she could be hurt maybe by others. She wouldn't be able to have a job and provide for herself and for her mother-in-law, Naomi. And so they were in a kind of a bad spot there. But one thing that Ruth could do is she could go out into the fields where the people had crops and where they were harvesting, and she could go in after the people who were harvesting, who were collecting the grain, and she could gather up some of the grain that the harvesters missed, okay, that they left behind. And so this was part of God's provision for poor people at the time in the land. right? But it was hard work, so Ruth was going to have to go out and work hard. So Ruth, you're going to come over here to the fields over here. All right? So Ruth goes out into the fields right here where she's going to work hard to collect some grain, some food for her and Naomi. And when she was out in the field, she came to the field of Boaz. So I need a, a boy, Boaz. Okay. Nolan, you want to hear that there? Hold on to that. Good. So Ruth came to work in Boaz's field. And he had heard about Ruth, and he had Boaz heard all that Ruth had done for Naomi, how he had cared for her and things. So when Boaz met Ruth, he pronounced a blessing on her because of her care for Naomi and her faith in God. And so Boaz spoke a blessing on Ruth, and guess, guess what he did next? He actually blessed her himself. He was part of the fulfillment of that. He began to fulfill the blessing of God upon Ruth. And so he did that. He did that in two ways. Boaz gave Ruth protection and provision. Okay, protection. So these are the things that Ruth needed most, being kind of alone in this new land, right? And so Boaz protected her by caring for her and giving her a place of safety to work in his fields. That was a place of safety for her. So he protected her that way. And he provided for her by allowing her to work in the fields, letting her gather some of that grain, as well as giving her some food to eat. He invited her to a meal gave her food to eat. He even gave her extra food so that she could take some back to Naomi. So Boaz really watched out and cared for Ruth that day by protecting her and providing for her. So Ruth then continued to work hard that day, gathering the grain. And then at the end of the day, she went back home to Naomi. So Ruth, you can come back over here by Naomi. Okay, she came back over here. And Ruth told Naomi how she had worked hard in the field and how she had met Boaz when she was out in the field. And she told Naomi how Boaz had blessed her and given her protection and provision. And then Naomi told Ruth, well, actually, Boaz, he's one of my relatives. He's related to me. all right. And that's going to be important in the, in the coming weeks, next week and the week after. All right? But so Naomi said that this was all really good, that Ruth had found a place of God's blessing with Boaz in his field, working with him. So Ruth then... After that, kept working in Boaz's field throughout the time of the harvest, as much as they were harvesting all the crops and the grain. And Boaz continued to give Ruth that place of great blessing um, under his care. And so therefore, both Ruth and therefore Naomi as well were blessed by Boaz. So as we continue in the book of Ruth, we'll see how God was working out all of these circumstances for his great purpose. All right, so thanks for coming up. You can go back, and Pastor Jeremy will come and preach.
1: Okay, let's uh, turn to the book of Ruth, please. Ruth chapter 2. If you're kind of new to the Bible, we're towards the beginning of it. Uh, We have the first five books of Moses, and then Joshua, Judges, Ruth, and Ruth chapter 2. One of the things we've been thinking about and Ruth is just the beauty of the book, even though there is some incredible sorrow and loss and trouble, there's this, I don't know, uh, oasis in the book. And for myself, being a husband, father, pastor, and so on, you know, one of the things that if you're in any kind of leadership and you actually care about the people you lead, you feel what they feel. You enter into their sorrows and it can become hard. You know, if you actually love your wife and she's hurting, you hurt. Moms bear the pain of their children and they feel them deeply. And if you're a supervisor at work and you're a good one, you'll bear the weight of the difficulties that those who are reporting to you bear, hopefully. And there, as we shepherd people in our church, there's some real pain, some great difficulties of all shapes and sizes. And it can get really, don't, don't take this as any, any kind of complaint, or maybe it is, but don't take it like that. Pretend I'm not complaining at all. Like, it's depressing to see the pain in people's lives. Um, and so I think this is what drew me to Ruth. Reading it last fall and now again, it's happy. Especially when you get into chapter two and then it, I, got, I was studying for the sermon for chapter two and then there's a small group we can only meet one more time and so they asked to get done lessons three and four. And I had begun the sermon intro by saying chapter two is maybe the be- most beautiful chapter in the Bible. And then I, a few days later, I did chapter three and chapter four for the small group and I had to erase that because chapter three is more beautiful than chapter two and chapter four is more beautiful in chapter 3. And so hopefully this book can do that for you. It can be a source of kind of God-given respite, of comfort. You see, the affection, the sacrifice, it's a rags to riches story, the hard work, the family. And so may God give grace to you and comfort and help that can lift you up. I think that's one of the reasons God has Ruth in his Holy Scripture is the joy of it. Isn't that a good gift of him, this kind of a book? Uh, So hopefully it'll be like that for you. Let me read chapter 2, pray, and then explain what's going on. Now, Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. But Boaz answered her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told me, and how you left your father and mother and your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done, and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Then she said, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I am The man's name with whom I work today is Boaz. And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, May he be blessed by the Lord, whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi also said to her, This man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. And Ruth the Moabite said, Besides, he said to me, You shall keep close by my young men until they have finished all my harvest. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, It is good, my daughter, that you go out with his young women, lest in another field you be assaulted. So she kept close to the young women of Boaz, gleaning until the end of the barley and wheat harvest, and she lived with her mother-in-law. Let's pray. Father, we praise you for your holy word. We ask that you would give us a holy focus and a holy open-heartedness to receive it with faith. And so God, please help us now. Amen. So I said last week that the book of Ruth is in two parts. Last week was part one, and this week, next week, and the following week will be part three. First week is the misery of Naomi. She loses her husband or two sons and returns from Moab where they had fled the famine, empty. And at the end of it, we hear her bitter cry, do not call me Naomi, call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very Bitterly with me. At the end of the chapter, though, there was this little glimmer that she came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. And chapter two, which is the second part of the book, begins the redemption, the riches to the rags, from rags, part of the story. And part two happens in three scenes. Scene one is this chapter Naomi, um, excuse me, Ruth gleaning in the fields of Boaz. Second scene is Boaz at night and Ruth coming to him, offering himself in marriage and him promising her. And then scene four is the consummation of it where Boaz has to go and have this given uh, back and forth with another man who's a closer relative and then Boaz marrying Ruth and the baby. And so we're here in act two, scene one. Ruth getting to work. When the curtain opens on this second act, scene one, we meet Boaz. There's three main characters in the book. We've already met two, Naomi and Ruth. And as Pastor Jeff explained, now we meet Boaz. And it's said that he is a man of worth, a, a worthy man. Now, as I explained in the time of confession, that's, it is an indication of his goodness. But it's also telling us that he has a lot of worth. He's a wealthy man, but he's a a wealthy man who uses his wealth for great good. He's the kind of man you want to be around because he's a good man. He uses his strength for good. And we're given a heads up that he's a relative of Elimelech. Elimelech, if you remember, was Naomi's husband who had passed. Now, here the story shifts to Ruth. Ruth comes to her mother-in-law wanting to honor her mother-in-law, to become obedient as a godly woman who has now turned to the living God to take care of her mother-in-law and asks humbly her mother-in-law's permission to go into the fields and to glean. Naomi grants Ruth's request, and Ruth gets to work. And it's here that we begin to see God's providence. Now, in verse 1, this is the narrator speaking. The whole book is narrator. There's a narrator above the story who's informing us and he sees fit to give us a heads up beforehand that this Boaz, this godly good man, is a relative. And yet in the story as it's taking place, Ruth may know that, may not know that, we don't know, but we see in verse 3 God's care. That as she goes to glean... She happens upon Boaz's field. So this is a good reminder, isn't it? You guys talk about this. Sometimes you you might say, that was a God thing. Now when people say that, that kind of irritates me because I think, what isn't a God thing? And yet you know what is meant by that, right? There are some times in our lives where God does something that's very unexpected and that turns out to be really good when we needed it and we go, wow. And this is one of those. And so we're giving... We're, we're we're getting this all set up for us, aren't we? There's a turn for good. Ruth is going to care for her mother-in-law, and boy, is God's hand of blessing on her. And that that's true, don't you? You need to work hard, and yet you, your hard work needs to be blessed of God. And we're getting a glimmer of that uh, for Ruth, that she happens upon by chance. It says to come to the field belonging to Boaz. And so the, the picture set here. It's springtime. The barley harvest is the first harvest of the year. This is April-ish, not like here. Like in southern Wisconsin where the flowers are already coming up and whatever. And so this is the first harvest. It's harvest time. It's beautiful. It's sun is shining. It's all is becoming right with the world again. And Ruth is out working hard and God's hand for good is upon her. And she comes to Boaz's field. And M- Boaz comes. And what a good man. He comes and greets all of his welcome uh, workers warmly. The Lord be with you! Now, just one of the ways that the Bible can be very helpful to you is just helping you be very practical. You know how helpful it is when you enter a room and give a warm greeting? Now, don't do it loud in the morning. But what if you were that kind of person? When you came to work and you came happily, gladly, with a good attitude, greeting people as if you cared about them. Wouldn't that be helpful to them? That's the kind of guy Boaz is. He's not like this light, silly guy prancing around. He's a hearty man. He gives a hearty greeting. And so... That might help you. Maybe that would be helpful to those who you have to live with, who have to live with you, if you had a happier attitude. And they return his greeting with, may the Lord bless you. So we're getting this picture that Boaz is a good man to work for. His workers love him. And he loves them. And Boaz then inquires about Ruth. And Boaz's supervisor, here's another practical thing, gives an honest report about her. He doesn't lie. He doesn't give any gossip. He just tells it. This is Naomi's daughter-in-law, and she left her home and left her family and has turned to God, and now she's out here working her tail off for her mother-in-law. She's been here all morning until even now. She's only taken one little break. She's a hard worker. And uh, Boaz goes to Ruth and lets her know how welcome she is and says to her, don't, don't go to any other field. Keep close to a young woman. So Boaz is not only very warm and generous, but he's helping her. Why does he say, just follow my women? Because they know the boundaries of his fields. And so just stick with them. You'll be good. You'll be in my fields. He's very helpful to her. And uh, even if you get thirsty, go and, Drink out of our water, and Ruth's response is very humble. She bows before him. She calls him Lord. Now, feminists grind their teeth at this point. (laughs) And she's grateful, she's humbled. And so she humbles herself. Again, wouldn't that be helpful if you were more like that to those who are given charge of you and are generous to you? If you were a humble and grateful kind of person, if you expressed it not only with words, but with posture, Uh, you would set aside your arrogance and lay down your, uh, lay down the thinking that Everything is do you. Everybody owes you because you're you. And you respond like Ruth does here. Well, Ruth works all day. Boaz makes her life even easier, allowing her to harvest just like the harvesters, even asking the harvesters to pull out some of they harvest and leave it for her, welcoming her to lunch until she can eat full belly with leftovers to take home to Naomi. Naomi uh-oh. And uh, Ruth returns with an ephah. That's like a 40-pound sack. That's a lot. It's a, it's a, it's a full-day work for a regular worker, not somebody just gleaning the scraps left over. What, what's gleaning? You know, we don't have that kind of thing here in our culture anymore with our industrial kind of farming. But Gleaning would be like somebody who is collecting aluminum cans after a 4th of July celebration to go and sell them for a penny a piece or a nickel a piece or something. It's somebody who doesn't have income, who is destitute, and so has to go and dig the scraps left over by the workers, except it's an agricultural thing. As the workers are harvesting, sometimes grain falls. And one of the provisions for the poor in that time was The allowance to not be so particular in your harvesting that there's nothing left over for the poor. And then to open your fields up to the poor to come over afterwards and pick up what has been left. And so this is what Ruth does. She works all day. She works very hard. And she comes home incredibly blessed. And she does return home. She goes home. And she is questioned by her mother-in-law. How many of you like being questioned after you get home from work? (laughs) Husbands, this could be a good lesson for you. Let your wife ask you questions and answer them. Children, when you come home from school and mom or dad or come home from work and mom or dad want to ask about your day, do them the dignity of giving them an answer. That's what Ruth does. And uh, Naomi informs Ruth that this man Boaz is a close relative. Before we just learned that he was some kind of a relative. Now he's a close relative, and it's noted one of our redeemers. But that's after they're just rejoicing in God's blessing and blessing this man Boaz. But he's one of the redeemers. More on that in a minute. And then uh, Naomi tells her daughter, just stick there. You'll be protected. Obviously, you found favor Stick there, and then the last note is in verse twenty-three that she began at the barley harvest, and she sees it all the way through to the wheat harvest. That is the last harvest, and so this is three or four months of work. Chapter two spans those three or four months. Sometimes when you're reading this book, you get the sense that she went to Boaz's field one day, and then when you get further in the book, all of those things happen very quickly. Now this is three or four month period where day in day out Ruth is at. Boaz's field saved the Sabbath, working her tail off, being blessed by them. And it's that relationship, that growth over three or four months of really hard, dedicated work. And uh, so th- that's the time span here. All right, so let's go to this Redeemer. In the NIV, a phrase is inserted there at the end of verse 20, kinsman redeemer. You've heard that phrase probably. you ever heard that phrase, Kinsman redeemer. It's kind of taken on mythic proportions almost in Christian church because of that that translation. It's really one word in the Hebrew that refers to this uh, God-given command to his people that has to do with kind of caring for your own family. If you remember when Israel went into the land, the 12 tribes each received a, a portion of the land that was for their tribe. And then within the tribe, you had various families that had sections of land. And the laws regarding kinsman redeemer were all about how family within a certain tribe would care for family and make sure that the land not only stays within the family, but within the tribe, so that no tribe would lose their land. And so this was kind of a comprehensive, principled case of... How to take care of your poor family members. How to take care of your widowed family members. How to take care of your family members when they go to law, that somebody in your own family should go and defend them. How to take care of the land to make sure that it keeps going within your family. And if some family member in your clan, in your tribe, falls on hard times and has to sell themselves or sell their land to make income, that you have to buy it to keep it within the family, to keep it within the tribe. So it's a very comprehensive thing that was about how to take care of your family. Makes sense? We don't necessarily do this like this anymore. I, I, that's neither, neither here nor there, nor right nor wrong. We just don't live in Israel anymore. We don't live in an agrarian kind of society like this anymore. But the principles will still hold. But anyways, Naomi's husband is dead. Her sons are dead. She's seemed like she's either had to mortgage off her land or sell her land, and she herself is utterly destitute. And so one of the hopes would have been returning to Israel would have been that somebody in a Limelech's family would redeem them and redeem their land. And that's what she's saying about Boaz here. That's what Boaz is, that Boaz or other close family members would have the duty of love of purchasing a Limelech's land and of farming it and of making sure that Naomi would be provided for and protected. And that in this case too, it included the duty and love of marrying Ruth in order that the name of Elimelech wouldn't be extinguished from Israel, but would continue. And that's one of those, one of the redeemers is Boaz. Now, of course, when you hear the word redeemer, you hear one of the, most wonderful central realities of God's people. And to be redeemed is to be bought back from slavery, to to have the price paid that would redeem you from harsh, awful circumstances. Now, in the main sense, it's we're redeemed from our sin. We're redeemed from the price we Incur for our rebellion against our Creator, and the wages of our sin, the price owed is death. And God sent the redeemer, God promised the redeemer and sent him, His only Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, who died and rose again so that you don't have to pay the price He paid it. And so we're, we're meeting that here, and, and, and one way to read the Bible is everything in the Old Testament is teaching you in depth of the glorious work that Jesus did on your behalf. You were destitute spiritually, dead spiritually. You owed a price you couldn't pay spiritually. You were enslaved to your flesh and sin, to the devil and to the world. You have nothing but hell awaiting you. And there's a Redeemer, God's own Son. And He came and paid the price. And so you are no longer in sin. We're getting that beautiful picture here. So this is what Boaz was. So Boaz is kind of a foreshadowing of Jesus. He's a a type of Christ in the Bible. That's wonderful. So when you read Ruth, think of Jesus. (laughs) Think of what he did for you. Did Boaz owe Ruth anything? Nothing. But look at the far extent he goes to care for her. And then think of Christ. Look at the far extent he went to care for you and to redeem you. And then let that motivate within you Ruth-like humility and submission, gratitude to him. Even in spring weather like this, you can think on what Christ did for you and find within you joy and gratitude towards him. Moms in the throes of parenting little children where you're so tempted to be frustrated and angry and lash out, just think about what Christ had done for you to redeem you and maybe learn to respond in some tenderness and care and This is what it means to be a Christian. We love him because he loved us and we want to live our lives in humility and gratitude like Ruth for Boaz, but us to Christ. So that's a a central reality here. But getting back to Boaz, Boaz is a good man. And Boaz is the kind of man who takes God's word and God's command seriously. And it seems here particularly caring for one's family and relatives and for the poor. So what I want you to do is think of God's law and the goodness that comes from it. God's law and the goodness that comes from it. As I said in the beginning, one of the things that drew me to this book is the goodness of it. As I read chapter two, did you not feel the, I don't know, the, idyllic nature of it, the peace, the, it's, it's beautiful. Like It would be fun to be there and observe it, or maybe even to work in Boaz's fields. It's this warm spring day, the birds and the brook bubbling, by. I'm no poet, but you can feel the poetry of it. And what I want you to do is connect in your brain that peaceful, idyllic, happy situation, and that that is the fruit of faith and obedience to God's law. That there's a connection there. God's law is never arbitrary. Did you know that? Sometimes I think we might think that, let's say you're reading the Old Testament, you came upon the laws regarding this kinsman redeemer, the duty of a family member to redeem land that had been sold or to care for a widow or to marry a widow to keep the man's line going. And you just might think, well, that's kind of strange. That doesn't apply today. And and you might get the sense that God's laws are just kind of like sometimes what mom and dad do, where they're just irritated by something and they just hand down another law. No more TV for a week. Where did that come from? Or, like, something about picking up clothes and every day for a blah, 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 you know, just these laws kind of fly out of anywhere. And we might think that that's kind of God's laws. He just is bored one day in heaven and makes all these laws. Well, not, not at all. So God's laws aren't like, sometimes I observe my kids or kids together and they create a game. Like, it's not a game that's ever been made before in the history of the world and they create it right there in front of you. One of them in particular. It's really fun to watch. But what you'll notice as the game moves along and the game is no longer benefiting the game maker, the game creator will start making laws that only benefit them. You ever notice that? No more holding the stick like that. You can't move, you know, in all of those New laws of this new game are just to benefit the game maker. And that's not what God's like at all. (laughs) God's laws come from God's nature. Who God is and what God loves are seen in the laws that God makes. You understanding? So when you read God's laws... You're reading the nature of God. You're reading the heart of God. You're reading the love of God. You're reading what God loves, what he values, what is central to his being. Every law in the Bible, this is true of. Do you understand? You're, You're seeing the very essence of God in his laws. God's laws come from who God is. And so let's ask the question. These laws regarding kinsman redeemer and purchasing land and caring for widows and caring on the family line, what do they reveal that God loves, that God values? And so what we should love and value? There, there's many we could do for, it, but I want to draw out four. God loves men who take responsibility. Because that's what God's like, isn't he? He is a, a God who cares for his creation, a God who cares for his beloved people, God who steps in and he calls men to be like that. We see that in Boaz, don't we? We see that in this law of a kinsman redeemer of men taking responsibility for the family and for the land and for the widow and for the care. This is why in 1 Timothy 5.8, you read that a man who won't work hard and provide for his relatives, particularly those on his own household, deny the faith and are worse than an unbeliever because it's totally contrary to the nature and love of God. So this is what God loves. So men, this is what we're for, and God loves it. God's blessing is on men who care and step in. And take responsibility. Young men, this is what you're learning to become. You're learning to become a kinsman redeemer, a lover of a woman and of her children and a caregiver for the rest of the extended family and for God's family. To shepherd them. To protect your wives, your sons and daughters, your mothers, others within the household of God. And that means material provision, but it also means... The worship of God. And notice uh, the tenor of Boaz's interaction in the fields. It gets apparent that he has real affection for those that he interacts with, and they do for him. And so, men, you're supposed to set the tenor of affection, of sincere, genuine love and strength. It's happy. They're secure. He's generous. He loves them. He greets them. He blesses them. He's a worthy man. And God loves it. Because this is flowing from the nature of God. Second, he obviously values, God obviously loves who he's made women to be. You see the weakness of Naomi and Ruth here, right? You know that God loves that. Women are referred to as the weaker and needing the provision and protection and care of a man or men. They are the weaker sex, and it's not to be ashamed of. In fact, Ruth prays right at the beginning that she might find favor in the eyes of a man. Now, this is not a picture of this kind of coquettish, manipulative, you know, fake need. Ruth works hard. She's strong. She puts herself at great risk and spends an entire day in the sun. It seems working harder than anybody else there. So this is not laziness. This is not sitting around all day watching soaps while you flick Facebook. This is the recognition that God has created this world for you to need a man and to need men. And that this is beautiful in the eyes of God. This is good. And this is the opposite. I want to draw this out because this is very opposite. This picture of Ruth in our world, isn't it? This is the opposite of what our world loves and demands women be. The last thing you need is a man. That's the last thing women need in our world today. In fact, that's the problem is that Men think you need them. And the Bible values the very opposite about you. And so the reality that God made women to need provision and protection of a man and men is not like a bug in God's creation. It's a feature. It's not a curse or a twisting of God's good creation. It's a blessing. So this is what God loves. Why? Well, isn't that who we are as the church? Don't we desperately need the man, Jesus Christ, to come and provide and protect for us? And that we need to submit to him in everything. This is the very nature of God. He loves it. This is why God so despises when men take advantage of the weakness of women. Spiritually and emotionally and financially and Physically, because it's a twisting of the nature of God. It's a denial of the reality that God will not use his strength to harm. This is why you must hate what is happening in our world today. Just a school in southern Wisconsin where a high school boy went in and showered naked with the girls. And that the school shamed the girls for having a problem with it. If I would have done that in ninth grade, I would have been arrested. And rightly so. And now it's celebrating our culture. And men should hate that. It's a perversion. And we must be different. Women should see their need and submit to and honor their husband. And men should love their wives with godly strength and protection and provision. That's good. So first, we see in this law, God's love of men, God's love of women, and then second, the priority of the family. Though the laws regarding kinsman-redeemer are no longer like one-to-one applicable in our world, they were specific to the nation of Israel, and now that that, that is no more as it was in the Bible. We aren't to follow the kinsman-redeeming law, but we are to see the principle in it. And the principle is, the first government God ordained in the world is family. Why? Because God is Father, And you can see in our world, in the destruction of the family, the dissolution of our culture. And yet God has, from the beginning, made man and woman to join together, to bear children and to build a family. And that God loves that. And yet our world no longer believes in the goodness of it. We believe in the goodness of animals goodness of building career, and the goodness of wardrobe, and the goodness of any kind of sexual expression without any consequence at all. We believe in the goodness of when you no longer love your spouse, finding a spouse that you can love, and aren't we reaping what we've sown? And so God loves man and woman together until death does part them the bearing and raising of children to love him without divorce repenting and confessing sin <laughs> and loving each other god loves it in fact this is the way that he's determined to build the world and build nations and bring happiness and health what you're seeing in ruth 2 and the idyllic nature of it is the result of god's love of family and the beauty of it the the working together of it it's wonderful Now, this is not to neglect the church. Sometimes people might prioritize the family over the church, and I would say, like, God gave you a family for the good of the church, and that sometimes when men or women, husbands and wives, fathers and mothers, refuse to come in any submission to the church, it's because they're making a mess in their family, and they don't want anybody to see. So don't be like that. But we should love the family and give ourselves to it, and Refuse to allow other things intrude. Now, that does not to say that God does not redeem busted families. He does. We're meeting the Redeemer here, and that does not mean redeem uh, parents. You might think like my kid's sixteen; that ship has sailed. My sin has created too much damage. No, no, no. That's true if you don't turn. That's true if you don't try again. That's true if you don't turn to God for His redeeming grace. Like it's not. It's never too late to love. And try to fix and repair. Don't you love those stories most of a father who comes back to his grown children after wreckage and working hard to redeem it and seeing it restored? It may never be what it was, but it'll be much better. And so don't stop. But God loves the family. That's why this law is in place. The fourth thing, God loves hard work. God has created you to work. You see this in Ruth. What an example. Of diligence. In Proverbs fourteen twenty three, in all toil there is profit, but mere talk tends only to poverty. <laughs> if you're fourteen or eighteen, like you need to, if you're going to get a tattoo, that's the one to get. I know none of you will get it, so I'm not in danger of some of your parents going. But the Bible says, "Don't get a tattoo." Like, quit yapping and get to work. Quit telling your mom or dad, hey, I'm gonna I'm gonna do this. I'll get that work in. Just be quiet and get it in. Like fold your clothes and put them in the drawer. When you kick off your shoes, don't leave them laying right in front of the door so everybody has to trip over them. Like put them together to the side. Work hard. Learn to be diligent. You see one of the Blair kids opening up a poop collecting business. Like That's the kind of thing we need, diligence, effort, work. And then using what God has blessed you with from your work to be generous to others. That's what God loves. Because isn't that what God does? He doesn't withhold his only son. He graciously gives him up for us all. God works, and he blesses us in his work. He's given you the gift of work, in order to bless others in your work, let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Ephesians 4, 28. Like, do we have the faith to believe that the soul that is diligent will be richly supplied? Proverbs 13:4. Our world is a world that values laziness and demanding the provision of others who work. And God will never bless that. He will never bless you demanding other supply. For you, but He will bless your hard work, and that's really what this is in this chapter. It is the beauty of God's blessing on our faith. That's what's standing over this entire chapter. Boaz's goodness, Ruth's honor, and care for her mother-in-law, her hard work is nothing without God blessing it. That's what you see throughout this. The workers ask God's blessing upon Boaz. Boaz blesses Ruth, and Boaz. Ask God's blessing, or Ruth asks God's blessing on Ruth. Ruth. Ruth returns home and tells her what to Naomi what Boaz has done. And Naomi prays God's blessing on Boaz. Why? Because we are totally dependent on God's blessing. We do our work begging God to bless it. You do your parenting, begging God to bless it. You battle your disease, begging God to bless the battle. Like you go to work Monday morning begging God to bless your hands and give you fruit from your work. And for others. Let me close with this. In Romans eleven fourteen, 14, Paul says this kind of strange thing that, you know, he, he's a Jew, but almost all of his ministry is with the Gentiles. And he says that he does his work with the Gentiles, even boasting about it, in order somehow to make his fellow Jews jealous. He's hoping that preaching the gospel among the Gentiles, establishing the church among the Gentiles, seeing all those lives changed and redeemed, would cause the Jews to look on it with a kind of envy and hope that they like go, like, we no longer have the blessing of God, we want in on that. I think that's one of the reasons the book of Ruth is here. That as we live in a world that departs and is antagonistic towards the goodness of God and the law of God, and we see the destruction, we see that divorce destroys. And the way that we care for people in need without any personal affection, without any personal involvement at all, just leads people to isolation and loneliness. And you look at Ruth and you go, oh my goodness, I'd like that. That Ruth exists to make you jealous for it and to go like, I would like this. And to realize that it comes to those who love God and depend on him and desire to become obedient to his word and to see that God loves men as godly men and women as godly women and the family and hard work and generosity and God blesses those and that we would go, I'm in, I want to do this. I want to be generous like Boaz. I want to be humble and grateful like Ruth. I want to work hard like Ruth. I want to give myself to a family like they have. I want to care for those of my family like they have and make you jealous for it. Doesn't it make you jealous for it? Maybe those of you who grew up in the opposite of this, doesn't it make you jealous for it? I think that's what it's here for. And then that we might glorify God when he gives it. Let's pray. Father, help us. Help us to have the faith to see the goodness of this kind of world of living by faith and what you love and what you value and having the faith to obey, but also knowing, God, it comes from your hand. And we are totally dependent on your mercy, on your blessing. And so, God, we praise you for this book. Thank you for your redemption of Naomi and Ruth. Thank you for putting men like Boaz in it. And help us to have the faith to be like this. To, to go towards it, maybe just one aspect of it. Maybe it's just praying for your blessing. And so, Father, please help us. We ask for your blessing on our lives as them, and we thank you for all the good that you've given us. In Jesus' name, amen.